You're listening to a message from Mattia Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Hey, Southridge friends and family. It is great to see you. Welcome back to another week. I hope that you are staying strong, staying healthy. We're so grateful that you took some time out of your day to join us. We hope that today's message will be a help and encouragement to you. Do me a favor, would you? Would you put your name and give us a shout out in the comments? We would love to hear from you. Our online host would love to personally greet you by name because we're just so excited that you're here. We believe that today's message will help you uh, live better and live stronger for Jesus Christ. Also, if you just had a graduate, graduate. If you just had somebody in your family who is now, uh, either they graduated high school, middle school, elementary school, give us a shout out, let us know. We wanna celebrate with them. We're so glad that you're here. Today, we're gonna be kicking off a new series entitled Christian, and I would love for you to share this link. I'd love for you to like, maybe if you're watching on one of our different platforms, you can subscribe to it, and we hope that you stay connected with our church. We'd love for you also to download the Southridge app. You can text 77977, just text the word Southridge to 77977. You'll get our app. On that app has the sermon notes, it has announcements, it has up next things that are happening. You can also uh, review a sermon, you'll have the notes, and you can stay engaged. Well, right now, I'd love for you to take your Bible to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn to 2 Peter chapter number 1. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. What is a Christian? Think about it for a second. What is a Christian? Here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love some audience participation. Will you put in the comments right now what is your definition of a Christian? Just type it in. What do you think a Christian is? Take a moment and fill it out. Now, as you're doing that, I'm gonna make a guess that the people that are right now putting in a definition of what a Christian is, you're gonna have a different definition than what everybody else might have. As a matter of fact, I think most people have a, maybe there's some similarities, but for the most part, it's a different definition. And why is that? Why doesn't it seem like we have a standardized definition of what it means to follow Jesus? Because after all, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. And the people that used the word Christian were non-Christians, speaking about Christians. But Christians in the early days in the Bible didn't actually even call themselves Christians. They called themselves disciples. Disciple means a learner. The word Christian means little Christ. I grew up in a family with two older siblings. And whenever I would go to maybe the same schools they went to, camp or college that they went to, when I would get there, people would say to me, not, hi, Micaiah, how are you? They would say, are you Josh's brother? Or are you Caleb's brother? Because you kind of act like them. You talk like them. You kind of sound like them. You kind of look like them. And it used to bother me until as I got older, I realized that's kind of actually a compliment. 
Well, in the early days of the church, when it was just forming, you can read about it in the early chapters of the book of Acts, they were called Christians, which meant little Christ. They were emulating Christ. Now, many of us have a concept of Christianity, but we don't have a conviction about Christianity. So what Peter's going to do, one of the original disciples of Jesus, one of the founders of the church, what he's going to do in 2 Peter is he's going to move us from concept to conviction. And that's my prayer for you, that you wouldn't just have an idea of what it means to be a Christian, but that you would have the conviction, something deep down in your spirit, that you say, this is why I follow Jesus. And so as we turn to the Bible, this is going to help us. So let's begin reading in verse number one of 2 Peter chapter 1. It opens by saying this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. I love that, don't you? that His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You and I sometimes struggle, don't we? We get discouraged. We get depressed about the times where it's difficult to be a Christian. Right now, it's difficult to stay maybe encouraged. Maybe it's difficult for you to be kind to your children. Maybe it's difficult to be, for you to be cordial to your husband or your wife or to your coworkers or to your boss. But this is a promise in Scripture. Scripture gives us a promise that we can live that godly life. So continuing on, verse number four, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and a mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Peter is doing is moving us from concept to conviction. He's saying, you've received the faith of what it means to be a Christian. But he's saying, you need to add to your faith. Many times when it comes to being a Christian, we think in terms of belief or behavior. Some people, they grew up that it was all about what you believe. As long as you believe right, mm, behavior, eh, it's okay, don't worry about behavior. Some of you grew up in a sense where it was all about your behavior. Man, it's behaving the right way, that's what makes a Christian. But the reality is, Peter is telling us that you've received the faith. There's this knowledge. And then he said, but you've got to add to that. And he says, you've got to add goodness. Goodness. That's their good works. So he's saying it's not just belief or just behavior. He's saying, no, Christianity is equal parts belief and behavior. It's both. So how do we live these things out? Because that's what the world needs to see. You see, when we have the right thoughts, when we think the right way, when we have a transformed mind, we're going to have a transformed life. Everything starts in the mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You see, when we start with the mind, it sows into everything else in our actions. 
And that's what Peter's getting at. Peter's trying to get us to have this divine nature. And a divine nature is a changed nature. You see, our nature determines our appetites. You see, when we allow God to change us, our desires change, our appetites change. But too often, when we think about Christianity, we think in different terms. We think in terms of what is assumed Christian activity. You see, I asked you to put in the comments, what is a Christian? Many of you put down what you assumed was a Christian. Your assumptions come from things that maybe you inherited from your family of origin, or maybe something you saw on television, or maybe something you read once. And so your view of Christianity is an assumption. And uh, what happens with assumptions, they can be wrong, can't they? So what we need to do is we need to move from assumptions, not have assumptions, but some people, they move from assumptions and they move into what's accepted, what's culturally accepted about Christian activity. And what's culturally accepted is always changing. And if you're the type of person that says, you know what, my faith is what's culturally accepted, then you're gonna be the type of person that is shy to share their faith. You say, why? Because there are some things that you believe that you hold as sacred and valuable that you know that there are people in this world will think that you're a bad person because you believe that way. So you don't vocalize it. So you don't share your faith because you're shy about it. So instead of being bold about your witness and and having a conviction about it, you live by convenience. When it's convenient to be a Christian, you're a Christian. When it's convenient in your schedule or when it's convenient by who you're around. So you change. Now, this leads to a duality of natures. This leads to a splitting of people. You're divided now. When you're divided, do you know that's where anxiety starts? Because you're living two different lives. You're not true to who God's called you to be. And so you can't live by what you assumed is Christian behavior or what's culturally accepted in Christian behavior. Because if you're going by what's culturally accepted, you're always gonna be shy to share your faith because you can't be transparent with people. So what we have to do is we have to say, well, what is the authority for Christian behavior? Like, who's the authority? Who, who gets to make the rules? We live in a day and age where it, we live by relativism. Relativism simply states that what's right for you may be right for you, and it may not be right for me. But as long as you're true to you, nobody can tell you what's right or wrong. But yet, that's countercultural to what the Bible teaches. The Bible says this, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction and instruction in righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply right living. And that's what Christianity is, right living. So the Bible is our authority for faith and practice. Practice what I live out. There has to be authority. There has to be somewhere where I come back to and I say, this is what I base my life on. And so as we look at the word of God, that's what Peter's telling us. And add to your faith knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of just what's out there? No, he's talking about the word of God. That this is what needs to be my compass. This is what needs to guide my true north. Because it's not just about having the right morality. Because people are going to ask you, where do your morals come from? And ultimately, we need to have an authority for where our morals come from. So when it comes to Christian behavior, it's not just about behavior, it's also belief. It's a marriage of both. So there needs to be an authority. And what this authority does, it gives me the right way to view things. 
funny story. When I first met Jane, she was really smart and she was in all the hard classes at our college, all right? I'm over there in all the remedial English and taking just whatever I needed to do to graduate. She, she graduated with uh, top of her class. I just graduated and I was happy to just get out, right? So, but I wanted to appear smart. And this is just, a, uh, some of you may look at me a little bit different. So what I did is I went to Lens Crafters because I thought, what do smart people do? They wear glasses. So I went to Lens Crafters and I bought a pair of glasses. Here's the thing, I don't need glasses. My vision is just fine. But when I wore glasses, I thought I looked smarter. And so it was funny because the lady who was selling me the glasses, you know, they do the little eye test. You know, is it clear now? How's this? How's this? She was like, sir, your vision's fine. Why are you buying glasses? And I said, because I want to impress my girlfriend. I want her to think I'm smarter, even though I'm not. And so I buy these glasses and I stopped wearing them because it was just frames with a piece of clear glass. It's all it was. Now, for those of you who wear glasses, those are the lens by which it helps you to see things. Maybe without the glasses, things that are far away are blurry, or without glasses, things that are close are blurry. So glasses give you a lens to see things properly. You say, what is the lens for you and I as Christians to see things clearly? It's God's word. This is the lens by which I view culture. This is the lens by which I make decisions. I don't make decisions based on my assumptions, and I don't make decisions based on what is culturally accepted. I make my decisions based on the authority of something. God's word, which is ageless and timeless. It's the lens by which I view what's happening in our current world. It's the lens by which I view things that are happening in the world. It's the lens by which I view everything. I need to have a view of that. And so God's word is the lens that I see. You and I need to come back to something. You say, this is my authority. This is why I view things. This is what I view the world through. This is the lens through which I see it. I don't see it through the lens of what my parents passed down to me. I don't see it through the lens of what my friends say is okay or what culture says is okay. Because right now, government and culture say the church, which a church is not a building, is people, is saying the church is non-essential. Now, here's what breaks my heart. It's a convicting statement. Some of you watching right now thought of the church as non-essential long before the government and culture said it was non-essential. The way you've lived your life was evidence to the fact that you don't view the church as essential. Now, that's hurtful. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. It's God's family. And when you say, oh, I'll take God, but I don't want his church, that'd be like you saying, you know what, Micaiah, I like you, but I don't like your wife then it's gonna be difficult for us to have a relationship. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, hey, I can go to any church that I want to. You know, I don't just have to go to one church. It doesn't matter where I worship. Well, let me push back on that for a second. You know, uh, my home is on Mayland Court. There's lots of homes all over my neighborhood. I could probably, using your logic, go to any home, right? But if I want a good marriage with Jane Ann Ermler, I probably should go back to my house to have that good relationship. You need to stay plugged in your church, not just, oh, cherry pick, what church do I feel like? No, no, no. You need to stay rooted and grounded so that God can develop you. But many times we let our behavior, and if we're honest, it's not our behavior, it's not our, our what's culturally accepted. It's really how we're feeling. Something I might say might offend you. So you say, fine, I'm gonna go find another church. Something word of God that I preach might offend you. Say, oh, I'll go to a church that won't open this up. So we need to get back to, wait a minute, the authority of scripture is what I'm living my life by. 
So we see that Christianity is about our beliefs and our behavior. That's what Peter's driving at. Secondly, we see you became a Christian not because of what you believe, but because of in who you believe. You see, my faith and your faith started because we believed in a man by the name of Jesus Christ. That he is the son of God that resurrected, rose from the dead. That's who our faith rests in. That's why we're a Christian, because of Jesus. But what happens is, Jesus is more than just dogma. He's a devotion to a person. And Jesus, for many of us, is a one of many and not our one and only. So when we make a decision to follow Jesus, we're making a decision to give him all of us. Many of us struggle with surrender. We're interested in Jesus, but we don't want our life interrupted by Jesus. We want to give Jesus parts of our lives. So it's piecemeal. It's, hey, Jesus, I'll give you an hour or two on Sunday. Uh, God, you've been a good God, so let me tip you a 20 spot. Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll go serve and help the poor and feed the homeless and care for the widows. Maybe I'll be generous in that. No, no, no. That's not what a Christian is. Why is it that Jesus gave his all to you and I, but we give him parts of us? Let's imagine for a second that you're going to go buy a car. And right now is probably a great time to go buy a car. 0% interest rates. They're trying to sell them. So if you need a car, man, I pray that you can get a new car right now because it's a great season, right? But I digress. Let's say you go buy a new car. Let's say you buy a Chevy Tahoe. Man, you, you sign the paperwork. Two hours later, the, the, the salesman hands you keys. And then along with the keys, he gives you the warranties, the paperwork, all the stuff that you need. And then he hands you a steering wheel. You're going to be puzzled, wouldn't you? You'd say, sir, why, why are you handing me keys and a steering wheel? And the guy says, well, you just bought a Chevy Tahoe. And you'd look back and say, yeah, but, but I... I see that car out there, that's what I want. And then what if the salesman told you, yeah, you're gonna get that, but you're gonna get it one piece at a time. You would say, sir, no, 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 I bought the whole car now, I should get it all now. Well, Jesus bought all of you when he died on the cross, but yet why are you just giving parts of yourselves? He bought all of you, but yet you're holding back some of you. Some of you are holding back your time, your treasures, and your talents. When Jesus said, I died for all of it, I died for the whole enchilada, but yet you're only giving me a bite of the enchilada. And God is saying, is that really commitment? You see, we need to move from concept to conviction, from convenience to commitment. But many times as Christians, we want to stay in this, this, this easy, comfortable spot where God is calling us out of that, where God is saying, no, 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 I'm going to do something so much bigger in your life. But to do that, we've got to move out of that. You see, Jesus is not just calling you into a life to interrupt it. No, he's inviting you to do more, to serve in a greater way. But you don't get salvation without surrender. You don't get the new life without a death. There are some things that have to pass away. That's why he's saying there's a new nature. So if he's giving you a divine nature, what do you think happens to your old nature? It needs to die. And so that Jesus can resurrect that new life. Most of us that are watching are not in danger of ruining our lives, but we're in danger of wasting our life, of wasting this gift that God's given us. And so it's time we say, Jesus, when you died on the cross, you gave me all of you, but Lord, I've been holding back, just like that car salesman. Here's a steering wheel. Here's a seat. Here's a bumper. Here's an engine block. Here's a chassis. And maybe after several years, you'll get the whole car. No, Jesus died for all of you. And it's time that you and I brought all of ourselves to Jesus. Can we just make a commitment that from this day forward, Jesus gets all of us, not part of us? Can we come back to the thing where we say, God, your church is essential in my heart. 
I don't need the government to tell me. I don't need the county to tell me. I know that it's essential. And I'm going to demonstrate how it's essential through my actions, through not just my beliefs, but through my behaviors. And if this is convicting, I want to let you know that a faith that does not challenge you will never change you. You need to be challenged. Last week, I said your faith needs a good fight. I'm going to tell you right now, any of you, as soon as the gyms open, you know that you need that resistance that those weights bring to grow those muscles. You need a faith that challenges you, it'll change you. Just like a diet. When you're on a diet, it's challenging. So when it comes to being challenged, that's where the change happens. So Peter, he's drawing this to a conclusion. He's telling us, he's saying, look, I'm going to challenge you. But did you notice how this passage opened up? Peter opened up by saying, Simon Peter. Why would he call himself Simon Peter? You see, Jesus called Peter either Peter or Simon, not Simon Peter. So why would he call himself Simon Peter? Because the word Simon, his original name, means shifty or shaky. The word Peter means Petros, rock. Jesus called him Peter. But here, Peter calls himself Simon Peter. He's recognizing I have two natures. I have the old man and the new man. I have the old way and the new way. And he's saying, look, both of these are kind of in competition. And I need to make sure the new man, Peter, the rock, is the one that's winning. And so he's trying to help us with that. You and I, we also have two natures. We have the old nature before Christ and the new nature after Christ. There once was a wise old Cherokee chief who was talking to his grandson. And he told his grandson, he said, inside of us are two dogs that are fighting. There's a bad dog, which is evil, and there's a good dog, which is pure. And he said that when the grandson asked the wise old chief, he said, grandfather, which dog wins? The wise old chief said, the dog I feed the most. You see, when you and I feed our flesh, that evil nature grows. But when you feed the spirit and faith, the good nature grows. He's trying to help us and add to your faith virtue, knowledge, goodness. He's trying to get you to add. He's trying to get you to feed the good nature inside of you. He's trying to get you to see that you're constantly warring with these two natures. And Jesus is calling you to a divine nature. That's what he's calling you to. And he calls it precious. He says, what you and I have received is precious. What Jesus has done for us is precious. I have a three-year-old son named Cain. If I were to hand Cain a $1 bill and a $100 bill, he wouldn't know the difference. He might take that $100 bill and he might chew on it, rip it, cut it, draw on it, flush it down the toilet. He doesn't understand the value between $1 and $100. Now, you and I watching, we understand the value, but I believe those of you that are watching don't fully understand the value of what you've received in Jesus. And you're treating Jesus much like my son would treat a $100 bill and a $1 bill. You're very cavalier. Yeah, Jesus, if I serve you, if I live for you, it's no big deal. Some of you are doing things the Holy Spirit has convicted you and you know are wrong, but you refuse to change. You refuse to allow the Jesus to be that precious thing in your life. And Jesus is calling you out. And here's what the Bible says in verse number 10. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. Peter's drawn this to the conclusion. He's saying, put every effort into this. And what is he saying? He's saying, too often, we focus on turning over a new leaf and not turning over a new life. This is not just subtle change. This is massive change. You see, too often, instead of making every effort, we're guilty of making every excuse. 
And when you and I make excuses for our lives, understand that excuses keep us from expanding. They keep us from growing into all that Jesus has called us to do, all that he's called us to be. So don't let your excuses keep enabling your poor behavior. Some of you have made an excuse for why you can't go to church. You've made an excuse for why you can't share your faith. You've made an excuse for why you can't read the Bible. You've made an excuse for why you can't pray. You've made an excuse for why you're not fully surrendered to Jesus. Some of you think, well, when I get a little bit older, when I have my fun, when, when, when I get a new job or when Jesus does this, then I'll give him me. No, it's time that you and I stop making excuses and we move from concept Christianity to conviction Christianity. That's my prayer for you. That's my desire for you. And my prayer is that each week you're going to tune in, that you're going to grapple with this. You see, Jesus doesn't want you to come up with your own definition of what a Christian is. And it's almost a trick question at the beginning to define what a Christian is. You and I should not be defining it. We need to come to God's word and let him define what our behavior should be, what our actions should be, what our lifestyle should be. We should not be going by what is accepted and what is assumed, but we need to go by the authority of God's word and say, Lord, you direct my life. You be the pilot of my life. You direct my steps. Lord, I'm going to follow you. That's my hope and my prayer, not only for everyone watching, but for Southridge Church, that you go into this season with deeper conviction, that you say, God, you are calling me to be a committed Christian not just on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday. One thing I do love about the fact that we're sheltered in place is that we've taken the church into our homes. Some of you have not had church in your home because your home has not been a place worthy of the church. And you know that your home needs to turn into a church. So what I'd love for you to do right now, I'd love for you to take a snapshot of where you're viewing this. And I want you to post that picture of where you're viewing it. And I want you to mark this day that from now on, the church is in your home. Even after shelter in place, even when we gather in person, and even when we gather in the drive-in theater, wherever we gather, that you remember my church, my home is still a church. It's still a place where we worship and serve God. It's where we change our behavior, where we change our thoughts, where we change our life. There are things that we do in this home that we make sure they please God. We don't allow things in here that will pervert what God has given us because we understand how precious God is. And this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ, this afternoon, wherever you're viewing this, my prayer is that you would receive him. You say, how can I do that, Pastor? By simply praying this simple prayer. By saying, dear God, I recognize I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sin. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my wrong behavior. I repent of my wrong ways. Lord, give me that new life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you let us know? I'm so glad that you were watching this. Here's what I'd love for you to do. If this message would help, would you share it? Would you hit like? Would you take some time to encourage somebody else with this message? Also, would you stay connected with us? We'd love to have you worship with us at our drive-in theater. Also, at six o'clock on Sundays, you can join me if you're new to Southridge Church and you wanna get connected with our church in a deeper way. I would love to invite you to a Zoom call this afternoon at six. I'm gonna put it here in the chat, save that link, and you can join me in Zoom and we'll have a conversation how you can grow deeper. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to join a life group. Maybe you need to join a growth, growth track. We would love to have you involved in that. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. I'll see you next week. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com connect. 
Again, that's southridgesanjose.com slash connect.